Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Over the decades, drummers haven't really received a lot of respect. All the jokes, the running gag and spinal tap, the issues so many groups seem to have with finding the right drummer. But there are also those who stand out and are not only admired, but worshipped. And not just by music fans, not just by other drummers, not just by other musicians, but by everyone who has had a chance to hear them play. They're that good, that special. Now, I've been a drummer since I was in high school. I later played in bands and worked as a drum teacher to get my way through university, and I still play today. And you know why? It's because I heard Neil Peart of Rush. My first exposure to him was through a stereo salesman who was demonstrating a pair of, I think they were, JBL speakers. And he did that by playing Bytor and the Snow Dog from Rush's Fly By Night album. I was immediately sucked into it by Neil's playing. And when the song gets to those three drum breaks, <laughs> I was just hooked for life. Later, someone played the overture from 2112 for me. And that's when I decided I needed to learn how to play the drums. Same thing for millions of other kids. For someone who played so loud and so hard, Neil was the quiet one. He was the introvert, the reluctant drumming institution. Interviews with Neil were rare. Meet and greets with fans were always handled by Alex and Getty. It was just understood that Neil didn't do these things. Now, I've probably seen Russian concert more than any other artist. I've traveled to different countries to see them. I've worked on Rush projects for their record label and their management company. I know all the people behind the scenes. I've hung out with Alex and worked with Getty. But I never got a chance to meet Neil. He was always so private. I, like so many others, have unending respect for his abilities as a drummer, a lyricist, and a writer. He was a thinker. He was articulate, extremely well-read, and he also had a wicked sense of humor. Stay with me as we remember Neil Peart. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. On January 7th, 2020, Neil Peart died of brain cancer. Glioblastoma, the same variety that killed Gord Downey, Robert Moog, the inventor of the modern synthesizer, Broadway star Ethel Merman, and composer George Gershwin. We'd known that Neil hadn't been well, but it was all about arthritis and carpal tunnel, two things that hard-hitting drummers often suffer after years behind the kit. We'd also heard stories of a bad foot infection that made playing the R40 tour, Russia's last road trip, very painful. We also knew that Neil had to be talked into this final tour. Okay, he said, one more time and then I'm out. I'm not only retiring from Rush, but from drumming. And the last show was in Los Angeles on August 1st, 2015. In December that year, he wrote this in a drummer's magazine called Drumhead. The article was called, Neil Peart Reflects on 50 Years of Hitting Things with Sticks. And I quote, The reality is that my style of drumming is largely an athletic undertaking, and it does not pain me to realize that, like all athletes, there comes a time to, 
take yourself out of the game. I would much rather set it aside than face the predicament described in our song, Losing It. That's a track from the 1982 Signals album. And again, I quote, these are the lyrics. Some are born to move the world, to live their fantasies. But most of us just dream about the things we'd like to be. Sadder still to watch it die than never to have known it. What we're going to do for the next while is remember Neil Peart by highlighting some songs from the Rush catalog that really showcase all of Neil's talents. Now, there are so many, so it was really hard to come up with this list. And I know I've probably missed your favorite, but I think you'll get an overview of what this man and this band could do. We start at the beginning. Well, not really the beginning, but where things start with Neil and Rush. The Fly By Night album, released February 15th, 1975. This is side one, track one. It's Anthem. Anthem, the first song in Rush's 1975 album, their second record, Fly By Night. A few months earlier, Neil had replaced founding drummer John Rutsey, who was ill with diabetes. In fact, Anthem was already partially constructed before Neil joined, but his addition changed everything. The arrangement was more complex than anything Rush had ever done before. Neil came up with the lyrics, which suited Alex and Getty just fine because they preferred to work on the music end of things. And not for the first time, Neil sought inspiration in the writings of objectivist philosopher and writer Ayn Rand. Anthem is the name of one of her books, and it's the same book that would underpin part of 2112 a few years later. Okay, wait a second. We're, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. Let's back up to the real beginning, the very start of all this. Neil Peart was born in Hamilton on September 12, 1952. His first home was on the family dairy farm near Hagersville. Neil apparently liked to drum chopsticks on his sister's playpen. From there, the family moved to St. Catharines, where Neil started playing drums at age 13, taking formal lessons using just practice pads. And after making good on a promise to practice for a full year, his parents bought him a proper kit. It was red. From there, Neil joined a series of local bands. He loved Keith Moon of The Who, Ginger Baker of Cream, John Bonham of Zeppelin, and Mitch Mitchell of Jimi Hendrix's group. He was also fascinated by big band drummers like Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich. When he was 18, this would be 1970, Neil moved to England to see if he could get involved in the music scene there. That didn't work out, but he learned a lot. By 1972, about 18 months later, he was at home in St. Catharines working at his dad's farm equipment dealership and playing in more local bands. His big break came in 1974. He was among five drummers who were asked to audition for a struggling band from the Toronto suburbs. Like I said earlier, founding drummer John Rutsey was out of Rush because of his health, along with the sense that he just didn't fit in musically anymore. Alex and Getty thought Neil looked goofy. He had short hair at a time when everybody had long hair. And he had a double bass kit. But those bass drums were unusually small. The whole thing was made by a company called Slingerland, one of the many different drum manufacturers that Neil would use over the course of his career. Neil was the fourth of those five drummers to try out. And weirdly, he was in a band called Hush at the time. He got the job and formally became a member of Rush on July 29th, 1974, which just happened to be Getty Lee's 21st birthday. 
Neil's first gig with the band was August 14, 1974, in Pittsburgh. Rush opened for Uriah Heep and Manford Mann at that gig. Their first Canadian show together was in Winnipeg on January 15, 1975. Fly by Night was recorded over five days later that month. Initially, the record label wasn't happy with the new direction on Fly by Night. They wanted more songs like In the Mood and Working Man from the first album. You know, more heavy blues rock along the lines of Led Zeppelin. Well, no, that was not going to happen. The next essential performance I want to play has to be the Overture and Temples of Syrinx from the 2112 album. This was a make-or-break record for Rush. Their third album, Caress of Steel, was something of a bomb. The fourth record had to be a hit or they risked losing their record deal. And it was a hit. They hit it out of the park. The entire first side is absolutely brilliant. Prog rock mixed with sci-fi, with more of that 1937 Ayn Rand novel, Anthem, which tells the story of a dystopian society where music is illegal and anyone who plays it is put to death. 2112 is set 150 years in the future in the city of Megadon, where the priests in the temples of Syrinx, aided by great computers, make sure the population stays subjugated by outlawing individualism and creativity. From there, the Solar Federation takes over before a twist at the end where an unnamed entity assumes control in a second interplanetary war. Again, not your usual stuff. But if you strip it all back, this is a song cycle about the rediscovery of music. It starts with trippy synth sounds played on a keyboard called an ARP Odyssey. Those bits were played by Hugh Syme, the guy who worked on Rush's artwork. He's also the guy who created the famous Starman logo, which first appeared on 2112. And this is the piece that launched a million air drummers. That's glorious stuff. The next track on my list of Neil Peart Essentials is from the Farewell to Kings album in 1977, and I've picked Cygnus X1, another multi-part song that highlights Rush's musical chops and Neil's lyrical ability. After reading a story about black holes in an issue of Time magazine, Neil wrote the story of an astronaut who decides to take a closer look at one. Cygnus X1 from the Farewell to Kings album, a piece that was concluded with a track called Cygnus X1 Book 2 on the Hemispheres album in 1978. Whenever a new Rush album came out, one of the things I always hoped for was an instrumental. These pieces showed off Rush's virtuosity, and I, as a drummer, wanted to see what Neil could do. One of the greatest Rush instrumentals of all time is La Villa Strangiato from 1978's Hemispheres, this was Rush's first purely instrumental piece and consists of 12 different movements. The song originated in a dream that Alex Lifeson had, and it took longer to record this piece than it did to record the entire Fly By Night album.
That's stunning stuff from Rush. La Villa Strangiato from the Hemispheres album. More highlights from the life and career of Neil Peart on the way. Next on my list of great Neil Peart songs is The Spirit of Radio from the 1980 album Permanent Waves. Okay, personal story here. My house, the place where I grew up, was right across the street from my high school. So all my friends would come over for lunch and listen to whatever new records I bought. And because we were all pretty nerdy, the idea of listening to a new Rush record was pretty appealing. One day in mid-January 1980, I bought Permanent Waves at the Sand the Record Band store at the Garden City Shopping Center in the north end of Winnipeg. And the next day, we cracked the shrink wrap and put it on my stereo. I was fascinated by the first song, Side One, Track One. I had already been thinking about getting into the radio business, so I was intrigued by the title and the lyrics and the little note at the end in the lyric sheet which read, Inspired by the spirit of radio in Toronto, alive and well so far. So, wait, this this song was about a real radio station? And Rush, my favorite band, wrote about them? Boy, wouldn't it be cool to work there one day? Well, six years later, that's exactly what I was doing. And later, I may have taken home the official platinum record given to the radio station by the band. I'm not saying that I did, but, uh, you know, I might have. Inspired by CFNY FM, now called 102.1 The Edge in Toronto, when it was still a little yellow house in Brampton, Ontario, and using the slogan, The Spirit of Radio. Permanent Waves was Rush's biggest album to that point. The next one would be even bigger. I think 1981's Moving Pictures is the band's best-selling record. It sold somewhere around a million copies just in Canada, and another five million in the U.S., and a whole bunch more worldwide. And it also had several major, major rock radio hits. But before we get into the record, this would be a good time to confirm the pronunciation of Neil's last name. It is, in fact, Peart, not Pert, like the shampoo. For proof, I refer you to this scene from a 2009 movie called I Love You, Man, where two friends managed to infiltrate Rush's dressing room. You know, the first uh, uh, song that we ever uh, uh, jammed out to uh, was uh, Tom Soy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, you know, we couldn't do the drums. No one can do the drums like you. What we did uh, is like, da 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 what did you call that song? Oh, I know it's, uh, it's called Tom Sawyer, but I love it in the song when you go, uh, you know, modern day warrior, mean, mean, try. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean, pride. I don't think I say it like that. No, I'm pretty sure you say Tom Sawyer. Hey, is that my sandwich? Sidney, I told you not to eat Mr. Payart's sandwich. It's just Peart. You sure that it's not Peart? I think he would know. Are you sure? Because we're pretty big fans. Chill, man, chill, man. Rush and Tom Sawyer from 1981's Moving Pictures. 
One of my most vivid memories of that album was seeing Rush perform it front to back. And in the aisle that night was honestly one of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen in my life, which was really odd because, you know, seeing a woman at a Rush show was as rare as winning a lottery. Second, she was doing this erotic interpretive dance to a Rush instrumental. So mind blown. The track is hard to dance to because it's in the time signature of 10-8. And if you know what to listen for, the name of Pearson International Airport in Toronto, codenamed YYZ, is played out in Morse code throughout the piece. Da-da-da-da, that's Y. Da-da-da-da, that's Y again. And da-da-da-da, that's Z. So, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. And repeat. The next song on my list of essential Neil Peart songs is Subdivisions from the Signals album. Neil was always a keen observer of the human condition, and this song is his take on suburban culture, social expectations, cliques, and it's also very autobiographical, especially for Neil. This was also the first Rush song to be keyboard-based. Subdivisions from 1982. Funny how the sentiments in that song about conforming or being cast out are more relevant than ever today. For these last couple of segments on Neil Peart and Rush, pay attention to how the music changed in the post-New Wave era. The songs grew shorter, tighter, and with more keyboards. Neil, though, kept writing some of the most erudite lyrics found anywhere in rock. Take, for example, this track from Power Windows. The 80s were a time of growing corporate greed. The Big Money was inspired by a 1936 novel from John DePassos, which is part of a complicated trilogy about 12 characters trying to make their way through the Great Depression. Neil applied his twist on the sentiments of that book to how he saw the global economy in the 1980s. Again, not typical rock and roll fare, right? Here's another Rush song featuring some autobiographical Neil Peart lyrics. By 1993, the band had been around in that form for almost 20 years. That's an anniversary that may cause you to reflect on how far you've come and how the time has slipped away. Here's a quote from Neil. All through the 70s, our lives were flying by. We spent so much time on the road that it became like a dark tunnel. You start to think about people you're neglecting, friends and family. So the song is about stopping to enjoy that with a warning against too much looking back. Instead of getting nostalgic about the past, it's more a plea for the present. The track ended up on the 1987 album Hold Your Fire. This is Time Stands Still. Freeze this moment, the 
There's another personal favorite of mine from the Rush catalog, Time Stands Still. More from Neil and Rush on the way. Welcome back to our tribute of Neil Peart of Rush. The late 90s were extremely rough time for Neil Peart. And for a while, it looked like Rush was done. On August 10th, 1997, Neil's 19-year-old daughter, Selena, died in a single-car accident. She was driving to university. And then five months later, Neil's common-law wife of 23 years, Jackie, died of cancer. That double trauma caused Neil to temporarily retire from Rush so he could tour North America by motorcycle to maybe help straighten out his head. The result was a new phase of his writing career, with memoirs, novels, book reviews, essays, and soon after, blogs. Books were a favorite subject on his website, under the heading Bubba's Book Club. He also became more known outside of Rush as an avid motorcyclist. That hiatus worked. Neil remarried to a woman named Carrie in 2000, and soon returned to Rush to record the Vapor Trails album in 2001. For this next song, highlighting Neil's abilities, I want to skip way ahead to the Clockwork Angels album in 2012. The guys in Rush might have been approaching their senior years, but they could still seriously rock in a very modern and contemporary way. Neil's style had changed too. In 1994, he went back to taking lessons from a teacher named Freddie Gruber. He changed up the way he held his sticks, learned different movements, refined his playing. Sometimes, he discovered, less was more. Note the groove Neil lays down in this track called Be You To Be. We can't end this retrospective on Neil Peart without at least one drum solo. Now, here's the thing about Neil. He was a very musical drummer. He didn't just keep time. He had all these other percussion instruments, chimes, gongs, special cymbals, temple blocks, octagons, rototoms, glockenspiels, and all manner of electronic percussion devices, in addition to all manner of exquisitely tuned drums of different sizes and depths. His movements were so fluid, too. Not a wasted move with this guy. And he got even better after those 1994 drum lessons. There's an instrumental on the Roll the Bones album from 1991 entitled Where's My Thing. When the song was played live, Neil got to bust out. Listen and you'll see what I mean. The last Rush show was in Los Angeles on August 1st, 2015. There was no big deal. It was treated as just another gig. But the band knew that it was the end. In fact, Neil had to be talked into doing one more tour. He just wasn't well, wasn't feeling good. Chronic tendonitis, shoulder problems, lower back issues. Again, these are all things that many drummers end up having to deal with, especially the physical and hard-hitting ones. At the end of the tour, Neil not only retired from Rush, but from drumming. He lived in Santa Monica, but still met up with Alex and Getty from time to time. They remained solid friends until the end. The rest of us didn't hear anything from Neil. He was more private than ever. There were a few rumors, but nothing to substantiate them. 
But the truth was that sometime in 2016, Neil was diagnosed as having brain cancer. He battled it for more than three years. We knew nothing of what he went through because family, friends, management, everyone closed ranks around him and respected his privacy. At this point, we have no details of his illness or how he coped. True to his nature, Neil passed away quietly on January 7, 2020. The announcement wasn't made until January 10th. His passing was low-key, dignified, no big fuss. Just like the man himself. He will be missed. There is so much more that we could talk about when it comes to Neil Peart. Analysis of his playing style, deeper interpretation of his lyrics, his love of motorcycles, his passion for big band music. He was a hockey fan. He loved to read books and study philosophy. And this is just the stuff that we've been able to know about. Again, Neil was a reluctant rock star, very introverted, very private. And you just got to know that there are many stories yet untold about this guy. Oh, one last personal thing from me. I taught drum lessons to help me get through university, which was a good plan, but it didn't really work out financially. I had a deal with the owner of the shop where instead of being paid for teaching, I took my earnings in gear. And over the course of the time that I was in university, I managed to assemble an almost exact replica of the kit that Neil played during the moving pictures era, a giant silver Tama Imperial star set with double 24-inch kick drums and about a million cymbals. You can probably imagine how impressed my parents were. I still have that kit. I still play it. And if you'll excuse me, I, I think I'm going to go practice my 2112 overture again. See you, Neil. Technical production by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. 